there are a few shining examples of fantastically successful technology vendors. You know who I'm talking about. But why do so many seem to make such a pig's ear of addressing emerging new spaces? My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. Last week, I talked about the hyperscalers, very big, very successful technology companies. Today, I want to look at slightly smaller companies, the unicorns particularly, and wannabe unicorns. And particularly, I want to focus on how chasing being a unicorn can have negative consequences for a company. Before that, I also want to delve into some of the news that's been happening over the course of the last week or so. As we get into the autumn or fall, if you're so minded, the technology news starts to come thick and fast. I rather ignored some of the big events over the summer because there wasn't an awful lot happening. There never is really. But I think it's now worth having a bit of a dig into some of the news stories that are happening at the start of these podcasts. So that's what we'll kick off with. The first thing I want to cover is an acquisition. Last week, Ericsson bought CradlePoint for $1.1 billion. Ericsson, if you're not familiar with them, is a massive manufacturer of telecoms network equipment. CradlePoint makes edge gateways and routers, hardware that sits in particularly vehicles as well as factories and so on. This is a clear illustration of the changing dynamics of the telecoms industry that I talked about in earlier episodes, episode three in particular. During that episode, I talked about separation, innovation, explosion, and particularly about the telecoms industry and how there's a lot of evolution going on in that space with changing roles for who does what. In this case, it's about Ericsson directly addressing enterprise customers, particularly for 5G private networks, i.e. a company has a dedicated network of its own for its site, for a factory or a campus or whatever. Ericsson can sell more or less a full offering to those kinds of customers, covering hardware, network equipment and some software. Some will argue that this deal puts Ericsson back into direct competition with its customers, the telcos. The idea of selling direct to enterprises was dropped by Ericsson back in 2017 to focus more on being the operator's friend, if you like. That and competing with the increasing threat of Huawei. But whether this is a real competitive threat to its customers rather depends on execution. Telcos have neither infrastructure nor hardware to sell to enterprise customers, at least not of their own. So it doesn't appear to compete directly on that. But it's much more subtle than that. Once you have network equipment and hardware, you don't need much else, particularly if there's dedicated spectrum, as there is in some markets. Two thoughts strike me, though. Firstly, increasingly, we see private 5G offers as being hybrid offered, including both an on-premise service and wide area connectivity went away from that campus. Think about supply chain or something like that. Also, 
In many cases, offerings from CSPs are based on a ramp up from using a slice of a public network through to using a private network. It's potentially a much more appealing proposition. We shouldn't therefore necessarily assume that Ericsson wants to sell directly either. A combined offering involving Ericsson and Cradlepoint for Edge 5G private network services could be white label, giving an operator a private 5G in a box to sell to customers. Just add Spectrum. The other big acquisition of recent weeks, which has been dragging on a bit, has been that of ARM by NVIDIA. It's taken on all sorts of political connotations, but it's particularly interesting in the context of AI. Next week, I'm going to be talking quite a lot about AI, so I'm going to talk about that particular deal then. And I will also touch on ARM later in the context of its sale to SoftBank and what that illustrates about valuations of companies. Second up, in terms of interesting announcements during the week or so, was one from Semtech and Amazon. I mentioned Semtech back in episode six. It's the company that ostensibly developed the LoRa LPWA technology. Under the new agreement that it has with Amazon, LoRa will be used in Sidewalk, which is Amazon's neighborhood network, which initially focused on using Bluetooth Low Energy to connect devices via Sidewalk Bridge devices, which include things like Ring Cams and more critically, Amazon Echo devices. The range of the old Bluetooth Low Energy which was used was about 100 meters. The range of LoRa is several kilometers, two to three kilometers in urban areas, seven to 10 in rural areas. In fact, the furthest range ever recorded is 766 kilometers, about 500 miles. But that's, shall we say, extreme. The addition of LoRa, therefore, takes things to another level, creating a crowdsourced network, potentially covering the vast majority of households, at least in the US, whether they are Echo users or not. And something like 50% of households in the US are. There may be a few issues to resolve about the extent to which users will be comfortable with their broadband connection being used to connect other people's devices, but the traffic will be tiny and there's good precedent for this type of model. Good example is in France, where the broadband providers used to split their customers' home Wi-Fi into different bands, some of which will be available for them and some of which will be available for the public. Plenty of other broadband providers around the world did a similar thing. The flip side is whether people or businesses will be comfortable having their devices connected via someone else's echo and broadband connection. Obviously, there are issues of security and reliability to overcome. So some big changes from both Ericsson and Amazon in terms of the devices at the edge of the network. I think it's been pretty clear from what I've been talking about in a lot of these podcasts over the course of the last few weeks, this concept of the edge and who owns and operates the edge is a critically important one. And what we've seen here is two giants of the technology sector making a significant play for the edge. Now on to the main part of today's episode. I want to talk a bit about unicorns. Not, you will be unsurprised to hear, the mythical beasts, but as a term for startup companies. 
and for a specific set of startup companies. The term was coined in 2013 by Eileen Lee for startups valued at over a billion dollars. In particular, I want to look at why some companies get to be unicorns and why some don't, and what that tells us about the technology startup landscape. One good starting point is looking at the sale prices that various technology companies have managed to achieve and the characteristics of those companies. Specifically, in this case, I want to talk about IoT and the measure of revenue multiple. Revenue multiple is the ratio of sale price to a company's annual revenue at the point at which it's sold. Now, this is a pretty crude measure, pretty crude benchmark for any organization's valuation. It ignores lots of things. It ignores intellectual property. It ignores debt. It ignores underlying strong or weak management. It also ignores demand side drives around how desperate the buyer might be for the assets or how desperate the seller might be to sell and a whole bunch of other things. But it does point to a trend. By doing this analysis of recent sales, there's a chart on the wireless noodle site if you're interested, one major trend leaps out. Hardware vendors and connectivity companies are valued a lot less than software companies. When Sierra Wireless bought the IoT MVNO Numerex in 2017, the multiple on revenue was about 1.5. Sierra Wireless paid about one and a half times Numerex's revenue to acquire them. Now, Numerex had a few problems at the time, so one could probably consider that to be something of a low watermark for that particular type of company, connectivity providers. In comparison, when Core Wireless acquired Rayco in 2015, the comparable figure was about 3x revenue. So we have a range of maybe 1.5 to 3x revenue for connectivity providers. For hardware vendors, it was typically even lower, often little more than one times revenue. Although it has to be noted, Ericsson's acquisition of Cradlepoint, which I talked about earlier, is about six times revenue. So a significant outlier. In comparison to both of those two though, software companies secure enormous valuation, typically of the order of 15 to 20 times revenue. The simplistic view would be that the software route is the one to take to secure untold riches, but that's not necessarily true. The multiples of revenues for the successful sales are much higher, but what's ignored are the hundreds of software startups that never go anywhere. Part of the reason for low valuations on the hardware side of the house is that these companies almost never completely disappear. There's always some residual business left that has some intrinsic value, even if it has long ago drifted away from being profitable. For software companies, this tends not to be the case. Survivorship bias is a massive challenge in the technology world. Those small fraction of software players who manage to hit a demand sweet spot, typically at just the time when a money bags buyer identifies a gap in its portfolio, can easily command 10x plus multiples on revenue. And anyone looking at the market opportunity in IoT will tend to focus on that as well. 
For module manufacturers, for instance, who can typically only command one to two X revenue valuations, the idea of diversifying into the software platform space is clearly tempting. However, the chances of hitting the jackpot and coming up with buy, build, borrow, or buy a winning formula is very low in the software space. As ever, recommendations to organizations to diversify outside of their core business area, usually at substantial cost, are only worthwhile if that vendor proves against the odds to be successful at it. Part of the challenge though, is that it's not entirely unheard of. There was a real success story when Jasper Wireless pivoted from being an MVNO to software platform company, but its overnight success took the best part of a decade, as most overnight successes do. The multiple in that instance, when Jasper was acquired by Cisco, was almost 20x revenue. On the hardware side, Silver Spring Network's acquisition by iTron was based on a revenue multiple that was edging towards 3x. Despite predominantly being a hardware company, it had also developed a strong management platform alongside. But the analogy with the later stage diversification is not a great one. Silver Spring built the platform capabilities much more organically alongside the hardware and networking offering. The software market has the lowest barriers to entry of any space, but nominally commands the highest multiples on sale. But what this fails to take into account is the number of software players that have fallen by the wayside. The average multiple is hard to calculate without an effective way of including shuttered startups. Safe to say though that the 20x plus revenue multiple exits are the exception rather than the rule. The other variable that needs to be thought about is scalability. Software platforms are almost universally scalable, at least they are if you do them right, allowing the vendor to sell to almost any client in the world with zero incremental cost, other than the cost of sales, cost of support. The manufacture of silicon chips is perhaps as close to scalable as the hardware space gets. Module manufacture and reselling of connectivity have been much more localized and less scalable. And the least scalable function is that of consulting or systems integration. As a result, valuations of organizations performing those kinds of functions will necessarily be lower. But all of this presupposes that the ultimate goal is the valuation of the company. Not every company can be a unicorn and the space for potential unicorns is crowded. What happens when everyone wants to pile into that high scalability, low barrier to entry, high valuation part of the technology market? It gets too crowded is what happens. It was interesting to see recently that the hardware vendor Libelium, when it was looking to diversify outside of its core business, decided to opt for not software, but consulting and implementation services. That might not help them to achieve unicorn level valuations, but there is demand there. There is a lack of good companies supporting implementation and consulting in the IoT space. So there's revenue to be made. Diversifying out of core business and into an adjacent part of the market is an overly simplistic solution to any organization's woes, particularly if all it's trying to do is boost valuation. Diversifying to secure synergies, though, is a far more defensible strategy. Having eyes on the unicorn prize means that most hardware and connectivity vendors 
will miss the fact that high value software exits are the exception rather than the rule. Vendors trying to be unicorns, just one example of some of the friction created in the Internet of Things and in other technology spaces by vendors being a little bit hubristic, shall we say. One of the things I tried to cover in the Internet of Things myth, my recent book, was to look at vendors and some of the mistakes they'd made in trying to address the IoT space. That was one of the fundamental challenges, one of the fundamental reasons why IoT had not perhaps grown at the rate that we would have expected. Rather than dwell too much on what some of those challenges were, perhaps it's a good idea to delve into some of the recommendations that I offered in the book to what they might like to do. First off, make sure you're not just following the herd. You can't just plunge into IoT and expect to make money just because it's a growth area. An undifferentiated Me Too offer drives out value and ultimately doesn't benefit the Aravista organisation. For instance, it's hard to restructure your organisation to sell new products. And also, you can expect a Me Too offer to have relatively low margins. There's nothing wrong with building a set of capabilities to be useful in IoT, of course, but it does have to be useful. SAP, for instance, has done a great job of pivoting a set of capabilities aimed at ERP towards IoT, a natural development. Secondly, I'd say focus on your own piece of the value chain. It's hard to be good at someone else's job. As a complement to the previous point, most companies find it hard enough to be good at properly addressing the needs of their own market, let alone someone else's. If you want to move into another part of the value chain, you better be at least 50% better than the incumbents. That generally means that the application of scale, extension of capabilities through acquisition, or significant investment in building new capabilities is required. The third area is to focus on value, not valuation. Stop worrying about being a unicorn and look at where the gaps are. Some technology companies will be valued at billions of dollars, but probably yours isn't one of them. Stop worrying about finding the infinitely scalable, universally adopted platform play. Start looking at where there are gaps to be filled and problems to be solved. A lot of value can be delivered in the next 10 years in companies with know-how helping organisations with the practicalities of deployments. Steer your clients. The biggest potential pitfalls in deploying new technologies in the enterprise are with the clients that are deploying them rather than with the vendors that are developing. There are numerous challenges associated with implementing truly transformational technology. Vendors need to steer their clients in the direction of making good decisions. For instance, by ensuring that there's some commercial grounding for a proof of concept. It's not good enough just to have a great product. You also need to provide leadership for your clients. Show that you're in it for the long haul. Most IoT investments, both consumer and enterprise, involve some kind of long-term commitment to a particular product set, whether it be an application development platform or a garage door. Everyone wants to be sure that their chosen provider or partner will continue to support that technology or product for the foreseeable future. Setting a precedent by abandoning products doesn't help long-term certainty. Secure by design. Typically, the single biggest concern for most people or organisations deploying any new technology is security. 
put your product through penetration testing and honeypot trials and follow best practice such as the UK's Code of Practice for Consumer IoT Security. By following what I think are a few simple rules, I think vendors will be much better placed to support the technology ecosystem in which they live, with the result that it works much better for everyone. This week's final thought isn't a thought at all, it's an opportunity. Specifically, it's an opportunity to win a copy of the book, The Internet of Things Myth. I'm not going to lie to you, I expected earlier on this year to be on the road a lot more with the opportunity to hand out a lot more copies, but for obvious reasons, that hasn't presented itself. So, I have 20 to give away. To get hold of one, just follow us on Twitter. That's at TransformerTweet on Twitter. Further details and links are on the Wireless Noodle website. On the 16th of October, I will pick out the lucky winners. Next week, as promised, I'll be talking about artificial intelligence and particularly the extent to which we might or might not get to artificial general intelligence. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com, that's transformer with an A, 